All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Mastering Rod Building Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Faulkner, and I am delighted to have with me today the man, the myth, the legend, the musky hunter who needs no introduction, Gavin Falk of St. Croix Rods. Now, uh, some of you, if you listen closely to the podcast, you might have listened to the episode with Jason Bruner from St. Croix Rods, where he mentioned some of the great work that Gavin has done, but I'll, I'll introduce him anyway. He is graduated from University of Wisconsin, Platteville, with a degree uh, in mechanical engineering technology, where he studied a wide range of things on Gavin 3D design and manufacturing, robotics injection molding, a lot of things. And uh, Gavin joined St. Croix Rod six years ago as a project engineer where he was primarily focused on a host of process improvement projects to increase efficiency, reduce defects, and and help produce the high quality St. Croix products that you, you guys know and love and gals out there. Um, he has since been promoted to being an engineering supervisor where uh, he he sort of is the the final judge of finalizing designs for test rods and the prototyping rods and the field testing and then sort of moving them from test into production. And so if any of you uh, are big swim bait fishermen and are big fans like I am of the best of show, the 2022 legend tournament bass swim bait rod with the grasp handle uh, that won best of show at ICAST in 2023, that is one of Gavin's baby. So uh, without further ado, welcome aboard, Gavin. How are you? Very good, sir. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for thanks for yeah. Well, thanks for being here. This is an interesting one because um, you know a lot of times I'm I'm asking questions and I sort of already have an opinion or already have an answer or a thought about it. But this is we're sort of breaking new ground today. Talking this is the ultimate guide to musky rods, right? And this is uh, this would be almost like the ultimate guide to landing on the moon for me personally because I've done very little of it. I was telling Gavin before we uh, before we started recording this episode that I've caught one muskie ever, and it was on a fly rod in the state of Tennessee. And I happen to know it to be very different fishing than uh, the fishing that you guys do up there. Um, but before we get into all that, I always ask all of my guests, what got you started fishing? Yeah, I think from an early age, it was my grandparents and my parents. I, I'd say one of my earliest memories was just going out on the lake on the pontoon at my grandparents fishing for bluegills sunfish whatever we could catch and yeah and just having a blast yeah that's awesome well i know you are a uh you are a hardcore musky fisherman i think maybe you fish more than anybody else at st croix possibly that's a little anecdotal but uh for those of you who don't know gavin or have not had the pleasure of uh, going up there and visiting saint croix it's an awesome it's a destination place to go visit they have a great shop there they give great tours um you, you will never regret detouring out of your way to be there but you may miss gavin because he he gets every hour that he can on the water and would you say it's uh it's fair to categorize you as an obsessed musky fisherman at times at times yeah How, how'd you get so into muskies was that just living in a part of the country in wisconsin that that you were around them or did they just captivate you uh for some other reason i think when i first started it was more so something to do with my friends a lot of a lot of my high school friends were into it we played sports together all the time so it was something that we enjoyed together and then when i went off to college i kind of lost that because yeah. they they have a, a small musky fishery down in southwest wisconsin but um i didn't really have my own boat or anything like that and and the fisheries just aren't there like the diversity is up here where you have lakes everywhere you can throw a rock basically right, right. well so we're going to get into it this is this is really interesting so for someone who hasn't done a lot of this 
This is it resembles saltwater fishing in a lot of ways. Uh, big rods, heavy lines, big reels, big lures, big baits. And so talk to me about this, because as I understand it, they kind of fall into the gear you use kind of follows the techniques that you're using. Right. And so there's there's uh, there's styles of fishing where you're using inline spinners. Right. There's styles of fishing where you're using big plugs. More recently, it seems like a big trend these days, and, and, and I don't know if this is a, a something Larry Dahlberg started or you started or who started, but like these big plastic baits, right? Almost uh, swim baits and giant grubs and tubes and some of this kind of stuff. So so help me out with that. Like, how, how do you begin to get started? Uh, it seems like most of these outfits are conventional versus spinning. Is that true? Or do you use some spinning tackle as well for the muskie? I would say it's almost, I'd say 99% conventional there might be a few people just just because they feel a little more comfortable casting right. a spinning reel but typically it's all bait casting and like you said uh big large reels heavier rods the fish are maybe 50 pounds at the biggest so nowhere near some of the saltwater sure. fish but uh the gear is i guess beefed up more so to handle the baits and the bait delivery. Yep. So, and so big reels, are we using different gear ratios for different techniques or do you have a preferred gear ratio used for almost everything or, or where do you come down on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's different for everybody. Typically I'll use a little bit slower gear ratio for those inline spinners, bucktails, swim baits, just so, something you can slow down with. Um, then I'll use high speed reels for those big, large rubber baits for a lot of line pickup to where when you rip you can get your line tight again feel that bait as it's paused just in case you get that bite mm -hmm. and then also so you can pick up a lot of line when you get a fish on to yeah. keep keep tension on the line okay and, and they have teeth i mean there you kind of have to use leaders and bite guards and things are you mostly running braid or are you mostly running mono and fluoro both the combo yeah, so the the standard in mu the musky industry is typically eighty pound. A lot of the heavy duty rods where you're throwing the bigger baits, you'll go 100, 120 pound braid. Wow. Um, I will run sixty five on some lighter setups to where okay. I'm running some pretty small baits, just because it's easier to cast. Yeah. But typically eighty to one hundred pound braid, and then the leaders vary. Typically, it's all wire. Okay. So I, I time most of those myself, varying lengths depending on the baits. And then uh, floral carbon leaders are common too. Um, those go anywhere from, I think, 110 to 150 pound. Oh, wow. Okay. And on the wire, on the wire, are you using like a single strand wire or are you using like a braided cable that you're, that's either knottable or you're crimping or like how did, when you're making these leaders, what's the construction process like, or is that a matter of personal preference too? Yeah, it's personal preference. Uh, I, I think most of the ones you get are single wire or single okay. strand wire. Yep. You see the seven strand more so on like um, sucker harnesses. Okay. So live bait Because rigs. they're a little more flexible. Yep. Yep. Okay. Excellent. The, so this is fascinating stuff. So so talk to me about the rods. What are you looking for in a rod? Are you breaking this up into, if I'm going to go out on a day, a full day of, or a full weekend of musky fishing with you in your boat, which I'll just put mm -hmm. a dig in. I haven't gotten to do. Aaron has, <laughs> but I haven't gotten to. Yeah. I'm jealous as all get out. But you, you were right to take him. He, he's the VIP. But like how many rods are you normally taking with you? Uh, and, it, it, you know, two three four five or yeah it's it's less than bass fishing but probably more than some other things i typically have i'd say eight to ten rods in my boat 
Okay. Sometimes more in the fall because you have one or two sucker rods sometimes. So that increases it a little bit. But I would say typically around there. And then uh, if you're looking at rods for yourself, either where you're fishing or the type of boat you're fishing in can dictate what type of length rods you're looking for. Okay. What do you like? So, so if we, I guess we'll break this into categories. So if we just start with like bucktails and inline spinners, talk to me about, uh, based on your experience, what the ideal rod sort of length, power and action looks like to you. Yeah. So I would say an all around power and action. That works great for almost all bucktails as a heavy fast. Okay. Typically, you're running eight six, nine foot, or nine six. Wow. I didn't realize they were that long. Okay. Yeah. So if you have a boat that sits higher off the water, you want a longer rod. So you, you basically, when you're doing a figure eight, you don't have to lean down, get down on a knee to get the bait deep in the figure eight so much. Um, it's just less, less tenuous or less stressful on your back sure throw it however many hours you're fishing so let's talk about the figure eight for a second because for people who haven't ever musky fished they might not know what this is so the muskies are notorious for following the bait right all the way up to the boat and a figure eight you're actually when you fish falls it all the way to the boat you're actually sticking the rod tip into the water and forming just like it sounds like an infinity symbol or figure eight right next to the boat. Yep. And despite all that splashing and that you'd think sticking the rod in the water would scare them off. This is what a fearsome predator they are. A lot of times that actually gets them to bite and you can get bit right at the boat. Yeah, right? absolutely. It's, it's more so a direction change that sometimes okay. gets them triggered. Okay. Each fish is different. I've had where as soon as you turn the bait, they grab it or sometimes you got to go around in the figure eight multiple times to get them to eat. So everyone's different. Typically when you do figure eights, you always go deep close to the boat. So Mm -hmm. the fish doesn't have its, its eyes close to you. Yeah. And then you hang the bait out away from the boat. Okay. So that longer rod actually lets you get a bigger figure eight and get it deeper and away from the boat. Okay. That makes sense. Absolutely. And, and, uh, sometimes you can transition just to a big oval too. That works too. Clockwise or counterclockwise? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You say that. Whichever there might be a muskie that, that cares out there. I don't know. Yeah, you can always change throughout the thing. You never know with them things. Yeah. So that's a that's a very common technique. And so eight and a half, nine, nine and a half foot rod um, in a in a heavy, fast kind of power. Uh, are you passing knots and connections or is your leader mostly outside the tip top, even when you're casting? And and I'm asking because I'm kind of wondering what size guides do you recommend in a guide train and this kind of a conventional guide train for a a general purpose, heavy, fast rod like this? Sure. So the, the, the knot connection between the braid and the leader always stays outside the guide train. Okay. Typically they're only even smaller than that, maybe four to 18 inches. Okay. So within the range to where you got no problem casting. As far as guide trains, I would say typically we use size eight millimeter for running guides. Okay. And then that kind of transitions up to, uh, I believe a 16 is the stripper guide. Okay. Is the largest. So eight, okay. 10, 12, 16. Yep. Okay. So, so that's obviously super common method of chasing these things. When you're talking about plugs and something other than these, uh, before we get into the big plastics, how, how does that change? Is that still a heavy fast and still a rod in about the same length if you're throwing plugs or topwaters or, okay, no, he's shaking his head. No, no right. so yeah. So like 
uh, smaller top waters, you usually drop down to like a medium heavy. Okay. Main reason for that is the rod loads a little bit more to cast mm-hmm. that lighter payload. Right. Um, and then the jerk bait thing is Suix, Bobby Baits, Phantoms, Hellhounds, mm-hmm. the wide gamut of Glide Baits, Pull mm-hmm. Paws, all that. Typically, that's run on either a heavy fast or extra heavy fast. Mm. Uh, but they're typically shorter. Okay. Unless your boat sits really high off the water. Okay. So so on the medium heavy top water rods, what are the lengths you typically like for that? As long as I can go. Okay. <laughs> I like to get the bait away from the boat. Yeah. Longer than nine six? No, nine six is the longest we make. Okay. And then when you switch to these jerk baits, sounds like that's a heavy fast. That's a different action than that medium heavy top water rod. How long are that you said you shorter yeah. depending on the size of the boat? How long typically are you looking at? Our jerkbait rods are seven six or eight foot, and then okay. you can use the eight six heavies or nine foot heavies as well. But I'd say it's typically a seven six heavy, eight foot heavy, or eight six heavy. Okay, and and so then so we've got kind of if we were going to have three, we'd have one you know between eight six nine or nine six that's a heavy fast for the kind of general purpose bucktails. <laughs> Uh, inline spinners, all that kind of stuff. We're running something like as long as we can get on a top water rod for maximum casting distance to cover water and get the bait away from the boat. Like even as long as nine, six, if you can go shorter, if you want, yeah. but that's, you find that longer length advantageous on the jerk baits are going a little bit shorter, which makes sense. Cause we're actively working at, um, seven, six or eight foot. And you can go longer if you need to in the heavy fast. Same deal on the on the top waters and the jerk baits, kind of a size eight running guides and tip top to a backing up to a size sixteen, or is the guide trained materially different for those applications? Um we, we run the guide train on all our musky rods are the same. Okay. Um if you have a custom rod builder that's building one and either you yourself or somebody you know that's buying it is maybe running like a three hundred size or th- yeah, 300 or 3,000 size reel. Yep. You can probably go with a size 12 stripper. You don't okay. have to use the, the 16. Okay. So. Okay. And then, so is the last major category then these big plastics and, and tubes and swim baits and all this? I'm trying to think. I mean, that's a good chunk. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely grown in the last few years. So talk to me about the bait rods, the sucker rigs. So, so this is when the suckers are spawning or prevalent or the water's getting cold and they're getting susceptible, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of bridling. These are multi-hook kind of rigs for these live baits. What are those rods like the shiner rods? I don't know if it's just Wisconsin, but typically people run all quick strike rigs. Okay. So the very front, I'll either have a hook or a nose clip that hooks into them. Uh-huh. And then two other treble hooks that you bury into the side of the sucker. Yep. And most of the time you just break the skin to get them in there. Yeah. The rods themselves are typically, they do have a little bit of glass in them. Mm -hmm. So they can take a little more abuse because you are setting the hook pretty hard. What length do you like on those? I've been, honestly, I've been running nine footers the last two years and I haven't had any issues. Okay. The nice thing with that is you can keep a lot of leverage on them and I'm using them for trolling as well. So they get kind of a multi-use there. Okay. But those are two piece because they're trolling. Um, if you're looking for a one piece rod, we do have an eight foot heavy moderate is the power and action for that one. Okay. And again, moderate with that slightly slower action because of the glass being a composite. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because when you set the hook with a sucker, it gets basically a home run strength. 
a home a home run swing. <laughs> You're setting straight up, try and get close to the fish and set hard to yank them hooks out of the side of the sucker. Oh yeah. Get them into the fish. For those of you who don't know Gavin, he's a strapping lad in very good shape. When he says a home run uh, hook set, I shudder. I, I suspect that is a menacing hook set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes it looks like uh, when you swing and miss when you're punching. Oh, yeah. You have about <laughs> two to three ounces coming back at you because it just yanks out. Oh, man. A little bit of that goes a long way. Wear your glasses, kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Protect your eyes. And Absolutely. If, you, if you start to see Gavin wind up in the front of the boat, duck, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> So I was fascinated. I recently visited, you know, uh, Park Falls, Wisconsin, the home of St. Croix Rods. And we were there for a custom rod builders event that you guys host every year. Great event, great facility at the high school, all kinds of awesome stuff that St. Croix offers. You can get a tour of the plant, which I highly recommend. You'll learn so much as a rod builder or an angler. They do a process where you can build your own blank. You can, it's a really cool weekend. But at that, you, you took Aaron, as I mentioned, the director of sales and anglers resource took him fishing. And, and I saw some of these baits you have, and I don't know how to describe them mm -hmm. other than like some kind of a weird uh, mushroom induced dream of what a, a normal freshwater plastic bait looks like, whether it's a, a big tube or a big swim bait, or I'm talking about, if I told you a curly tail grub, I think everybody from a panfish or crappie fisherman knows what a curly tail is, but I'm not sure people understand the size of these things. This is like the size of my arm. So, so talk to me about that. Is that a, I've not seen that before. Is that a new tech kind of current news class of baits or has that been around a while? And, and when do you know when to use those and what does that equipment look like? Yeah. So it's, I can't say for sure when it started. My buddy Chuck, he's 70 years old. He would know. He was kind of in that era to get to see the transition from small baits, uh, five, six rods using Dacron line up to what we have now. And it's not even close to what they used to have. Nope. So he, he would have a little bit better idea on when that started. I would say within the last 20 years, the rubber baits have come on and i think when they first came out too a lot of people just thought to straight reel them like a swim bait almost right and when you get a straight tail it it has action but triggering strikes usually is a little bit more effective when you're pull pausing those things yeah some of them kind of actually hop when you pull them mm -hmm. some just pull straight across horizontally mm -hmm. and some are weighted nice to where if you do downward pulls it'll actually stair step down the weed line for you to keep that bait right in the strike zone so yeah there's there's a wide array of different baits i mean you have some custom guys making baits that look like catfish now uh there's a guy down in i think tennessee but anywhere from a giant curly curly tail grub to straight tails three tails four tails who knows? Yeah. And when, when Gavin says giant, we're talking 12, 14, 16 inches long. I mean, this is a oh, yeah. honk of a bait. It's unbelievable. So obviously flinging that thing and working it, what do those rods look like? And I, and I know St. Croix has been at the forefront of developing those things. And again, you've, you've sort of been the, the pointy end of the spear on that personally. Yeah. Tell me about those rods. Yeah, so there's actually a funny story behind that. Well, do tell. About a, a year after I started, they were St. Croix and, and the product team were talking about developing a rod just for large rubber baits. And, and Rich Blander, who used to work here, brought that up just from talking with guys in, in the industry. Because what you were seeing a lot of guys 
a lot of guys doing where they were actually wrapping a pool noodle around the rear end of a, a rod or musky rod and taping it on just so they had a, a more comfortable cushion when they were working these baits. Because basically you can do normal pulls or you can swing hard. Yeah, rip. Yeah. And uh, the, the main preface for doing that is to get a fish to react to it. Don't let them, don't let them have that chance to think about eating it and making them eat. So uh, I think I think that's why those baits are so effective. I mean, in the fall, they're trying to put the feed bag on so you don't have to rip the bait so hard. But yeah, it started there. Uh, we came out with the rubber rod, which is a premier nine foot extra heavy fast, a lot beefier than what we had done in the past. And then it actually had an oversized piece of EVA on the back, provide a lot more cushion than something we've done in the past, which had traditionally been corked. So right. I think the OD on that thing was inch and a quarter or something like that, maybe a little bit bigger. Yeah. So it was pretty significant, uh, something that the industry really hadn't seen yet. And we actually brought it down to Chicago that year and won best of show oh, wow. because it was something people hadn't seen and there there was definitely a need for it 100 percent. so i i'd say that's where it started and now it's uh we we came out with some 10 foot rods a couple of years ago had it been 2018 um extra heavy for that and then the nine foot's basically the mainstay though you get too long and uh, you lose uh i guess some of the control because you're fighting the rod more than the bait do you ice fish for the muskie at all? No, so our, our season closes uh, December 31st. Okay. And it's only open water. Okay. So if it freezes up before that, you can't fish for them anymore. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually on the St. Croix website looking at some of these handles you guys have on these big gun rods, and that's a... Uh... That's impressive, man. Mm -hmm. Not for the faint of heart. They they can deliver a two pound bait. Oh yeah, and that's it's crazy to me. That's such there's, a big. There's bait. definitely no uh, snapping it out. It's more of a lob cast, but you can definitely cast a two pound bait. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, there's all these rods. So, do you have a favorite? If you had to pick one way to fish and one rod that you'd recommend for people who are looking to get a rod and get started musky fishing, like I guess we'll go through the categories. So. We, we talked about an eight, eight, six to nine, six heavy, heavy fast for the general purpose stuff. You like, you, you guys have several series. You've got legend tournament, you've got legend, yeah. Elite, you've got premier musky, you've got mojo. Like, uh, for those, for people who are tuning Trying in and, and wanting to sort of, yeah, exactly. Uh, wanting to kind of dial in on these, do you have any recommendations across those lines? Yeah. I would say if you're going to start out at eight, six or a uh, nine foot heavy is basically uh, a do it all stick. You can do just about anything. You can't, you can throw some larger rubber baits, but it's not optimal. So you can do that top waters, bucktails. That's, that's all capable of doing all that. And like I said, if you get that eight, six, you, you might even get in the glide bait realm, being able to run those baits as well. Um, so all around for me, it's hard to pick. Well, you're spoiled for choice. You have access to all of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, the hard, hard part for me is I'm to the point where I'm really getting dialed in the specific rods for different baits. Yeah. So like I said, I have eight to 10 and I'll pick a certain rod for a certain bait now, but I'd say that nine foot heavy fast can do just about anything the legend tournament big nasty and that that's a name that's pretty commonly known by a lot of the musky anglers that sure that are part of the saint croix family but um and it's been around for a while so the one he's referring to is the lmtfc 90 hf big nasty nine foot heavy 
It's crazy. Rated uh, for 65 to 100 pound and two to eight ounce baits. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a beast, man. Uh, that's wild. Have you fished any of these in saltwater? I'm tempted. I want to not. take no, it offshore. No. They, I think they'd be great tarpon rods, some of them. They might be. They might not be as moderate as some people want, though. Yeah. Uh, the musky not jumping as much. Huh? <laughs> They're pretty fast. Like I said, yeah. most of it for for bait delivery. Um, and then you need a pretty stout midsection for getting the getting the hooks into the fish into the fish. Right. So. So when I think about conventional bait casting reels, um, obviously um, you, you mentioned a size 300 or 3000 kind of casting reel that that's sort of the, the large size of bait caster level wind reels that I'm used to using. If we get into the reels a little bit and you can either name names for specific brands you like or not, like what, what are some of the, when you're talking about bigger reels for some of these big rubber baits and things like that, what are some of the reels that you guys are using? Are you going to like a, a round profile, larger reel or, um, everybody's got their own preference. I think for the most part, it's, it's the Shimano Tranks yeah. the Dio okay. Pro Rexes okay. for the bigger rubber baits. Cause they have that four and 500 size. Right. And then as you go into more bucktails, top waters, you have a wider range of reels that can withstand that type of abuse sure. where you're bringing sure. the Abus and, uh, Pisca funds. There's a lot of different brands now. Sure. Should we look forward to, uh, by the time people are listening to this, the word is well out there about seven reels and, and, uh, th- that big project and diversification at St. Croix there. Are you working on some musky reels for us or are you not at liberty to discuss? I can neither confirm nor deny. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. We'll have to keep our eyes peeled and that's okay. Yeah. Well, what else? Uh, so we've talked about a, a variety of rods, um, and, and we'll post some links um, to all these different St. Croix musky series for people that are looking for them. Um, and we'll also put together some kind of uh, generic but useful build recipes for different length blanks if you're looking to build your own conventional um, you know, rod to pursue musky with any of these techniques. We've talked about the reels. We talked about the line and the leaders. Um, anything else specific, uh, anything around hooks, rigging knots, anything else that you've would advise people to pay attention to? The tip tops are always important. If you can get a flange top, that's going to protect your line the most, um, because it's bound to happen. You're going to reel the, uh, the cast ring on the end of the, uh, of the leader into the tip top. So having a durable, uh, tip top flange even if it's non-flange, but a little bit higher grade uh, ceramic will go a long way. Yeah. So what Gavin's referring to is a traditional uh, ring, ceramic ring tip top just has a ring that's pressed into the frame of the guide. And more recently, manufacturers, including Fuji, I think it was originally a Fuji innovation, have started making a flanged ring where it actually has a flange that covers the entire tip top the ring comes out and around the ceramic part of the ring comes out and around the entirety of the frame so your line will never bear against the frame regardless what angle you pull or whatever which makes a lot of sense doing figure eights and things like that and it's typically found in kind of the higher end stuff uh sic rings torsite rings things like that so that's a good tip look for a flanged ring um and it does make sense when you're doing leaders that stay outside the tip top when oh, you're yeah. casting as many casts, sure, you're eventually going to reel it into the tip top. Yeah, right. I know. I know. I was 
I was doing it this weekend, uh, fishing. So, um, uh, I'm, I'm not throwing any stones at that one. So that's good. Tip tops. That's a, that's kind of a pro tip. What else? Especially night fishing, but, um, Oh yeah. No I'd doubt. Say pick, pick, uh, a real seat. That's going to be ergonomic to where you can fish with it all day. Mm. I'd say if you're going to build a jerk bait rod, you can get away with either style real seat, the traditional straight trigger or palming. But if you're building a rod for uh, ripping rubber, running bucktails, running top water all day, I would go with a palming seat. I okay. mean, it's, it's just a way more comfortable to fish with, and especially when you're fishing long hours. Yep. Okay. Great tip. We can post some links to some examples of, of palming type seats, but essentially it's a very ergonomically comfortable seat. The trigger is back mm -hmm. and at a different angle and just it lets you do this heavy duty application without as much fatigue all day. That's a good point. What else? These are pro tips, man. One of the big things, and you'll, and you'll hear this across the industry, but taking care of the fish is, I mean, top priority for us, like it is uh, other fisheries. Um, so having uh, tools, re proper re release tools, good hook cutters. Uh, one of the best in the industries are Nipex. Uh, large, large, uh, trying to think, large uh, long nose pliers yep. are key. Okay. Because you don't want to get your hands near the teeth in them fish's mouth. Yeah, no doubt. And then, uh, um, and then do you uh, net them or do you cradle them or like how do you guys like? I've seen different things. You you obviously catch a lot of them and and keeping them safe is important. How do you like to do that or? Do you yeah, so we, we just have we we just use uh, a real wide net. So Freebo's got a lot of good ones. Big mm -hmm. Kahuna, Big Game. I'm trying to think of who else. Beckman, there's a lot of different ones, but it's having a wide hoop, a deep hoop, or a deep net, and then having wide and non-abrasive uh, netting. Okay, so larger, larger size kind of mesh than you would have for most fish. Yeah. Okay. And the the biggest biggest reason for that is it's a lot harder for them to get the hooks in the net and wrap up and, sure. and get all Hurt themselves sort of tight hog tied. Cause I know when we started, we did, my dad did end up buying a net that had real fine. Uh, I think it was the rubber coated stuff, which is yep. great for the fish, but it was so fine that they'd get in it and roll and it you'd have to end up cutting the net just to get them out. Yeah. So that's never a good thing. The, nope. the quicker you can get them unhooked and, and back in the water is the number one priority. So having a good net release tools, uh, we do have bump boards for bumping the fish just uh, to see how long some of them are. And then people can reference that or, or, I mean, a lot of times we'll get uh, just me and my buddies will get one that's three foot or so and just net it unhook it, take a picture and let it go. We don't even worry about bumping them anymore. Uh, just because we got enough of them under our belt, we kind of guess or estimate how, how long it is, but probably get pretty um, close. Yeah. So, uh, you, you mentioned some, some means like pliers or some good means to dehook it. You also mentioned a hook cutter. So you're going to try to unhook it. If you can't get it, you just go ahead and cut it. Yeah. Yeah. Or if they're, or if you got them hooked in the gills, it's easier to, to cut it and pull it out the other way. So, 
Um, but yeah, the other, the other nice thing about having a wide deep net is after you get them unhooked, you can just let them sit in the net and recuperate a little bit before you start worrying about handling them again. Yeah. So how many, uh, how many fish might, will you catch in a good season? You know, these fish are kind of legendary as being like the fish of 10,000 mm-hmm. casts, right? And people talk about, oh, I fished all season. I only caught two and it's a great season, but for people that are on them, you guys catch them a little more frequently than that. Like, uh, yeah, I, I can't say for sure. I, I, I would say it, when I started at St. Croix, I used to keep track of how many fish I caught. Mm-hmm. And honestly, now I just, I mean, I remember the catches, but I don't keep track. Yeah. I, I'm more worried about trying to get other people on fish, having a good time and, and going from there. Well, I've talked to a lot of people uh, who who have had good luck with you, but not even you could overcome the all-powerful Aaron <laughs> voodoo skunk. Yeah. I, I would say the what I can tell people is if you plan for an all-day trip, you have a much better can- chance of catching one, which we yeah. did not have an all, all-day trip plan. But All right. We're blaming him. It's your fault, A.A. Ron. <laughs> but, no, I would say a good average is maybe one a day. Yeah. I mean, and and, and that's because you're, you're going to have those days where you just don't catch anything. Sure. And then those magic days when it happens. Oh yeah, awesome. Yeah. Any other uh, any other tackle or gear stuff you'd recommend that the release the release planning for the release and 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 having your success in mind and being ready to not harm the fish that's really important. That's a good thing. Um, anything else you'd recommend for folks heading out there for the first time? Yeah, I guess for starting, maybe have if you're looking at baits. A single-bladed bucktail, a bucktail with two blades, being maybe a number eight Colorado number tens, a prop-style topwater, maybe a creeper or hog wobbler-style topwater. Rubber baits vary in size, um, so you can get whatever you think's easier for you to work at the time. Um, I mean, they have them half pound to a quarter pound, so they, they make them easily to where anybody can throw them. Some type of glide bait is always good. And if you really want to start getting technical, trying different techniques, glide baits are are always a must. I mean, when it's tough and you either want to move fish to locate them or catch one when it's tough, glide baits usually produce day in and day out. Yeah, and I want to say, golly, some of those baits, I was watching a YouTube video, and I want to say maybe is it Salmo? Is that a brand? Yep, Salmo. Yeah, man, there's some some of those wooden baits that are glide baits. Man, they look good in the water. They were swimming them through oh, a fish yeah. uh, 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 a swimming pool, and I was like, "Oh, I'd eat that." <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, look good, man. Well, awesome. Well, uh, is the season already closed up there as of now, or are you still open? No, so we'll go until basically it freezes up. Um, it's usually mid November. Okay. Usually around deer season up here when it starts to get locked up. So we got a little time yet. Yeah. And if you've never visited Park Falls, and I've only been a few times, uh, different times of the year, there are deer everywhere and turkeys everywhere. So be careful when you're driving. (laughs) You're tempted to look at all the lakes, but watch out for all the deer because there's a pile of them up there. 
Absolutely. Oh man. Well, Gavin, this has been super helpful. I'm excited. This makes me want to go go build some, uh, yeah, go buy some uh, Rod Geeks blanks and and build some musky rods and go give this a try if for no other reason to show Aaron that they can be caught. Sure. No, absolutely. And I'll plan for a full day. I won't. I won't give it a half effort. You know, a token gesture oh, like he yeah. did. <laughs> but I don't. I don't know if you want to talk about it at all, Bill. But. I know you look you look at musky rods too and split grip and full grip are always Oh yeah, no, that'd be great. Let's and, let's talk about that. And 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 sometimes people just don't know what they want to do. Cause I mean I know no, when I was you. yeah, yeah. So I, I, I look at the rods, out. you have both, right? Across your lineup, you have both. You have some yeah. that are split and some that are solid. So when we're talking about those grips, we covered the importance of the size and the comfort of the of either the grass panel or the palming seat, like talk to me, how do you think about those grips one piece versus is that application specific or is it personal preference? Uh, yeah, I think it's application specific. If okay. you look at the new legend tournament muskie, mm -hmm. we did something a little bit different. So we've always had full handle and split grip in that rod series mm -hmm. uh, just to give people the option there. Right. Um, but one thing we did is those split grip handles, we actually lengthened that rear grip a yep. little bit longer. Yep. So when you're fishing with it, your your that piece of cork is on your ribs instead of the raw blank being on your side. Okay. Uh, just one of those comfort things. Yep. Um, yep. As far as fishing medium heavies and smaller is typically where we're using those split grip rods. Mm -hmm. It's typically smaller bucktails, top water, uh, some jerk baits, but it's making a little bit more of a streamlined handle mm -hmm. uh, to where you can get a lot more rod speed and it's just a lot easier to work in and out of fishing and casting. Okay. And then uh, the, the full handle rods are typically heavies and up. And that's more so that to fit that technique where you're maybe ripping harder, you have more tension on your line as the baits are bigger. So you want a little more comfort on your side. Okay. Do you, um, so obviously, you know, do you as, as an angler personally have a, a preference or an opinion about guides on top or spiral wrapped rods, or would you just tell people fish, whatever makes you happy for this kind these kinds of applications or. Oh, acid wrap you talking? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't built any like that. Okay. Um, there's obviously challenges with manufacturing to do it that way. Sure. I don't know if there's enough deflection in a musky rod to where it would matter. Okay. Honestly. Yeah. Because they're pretty fast. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting much deflection most of the way up the blank. Okay. Uh, medium heavies, you will, uh, but I still don't think it's enough like, say, an offshore rod. It's under a lot of load, especially when you're hooked up on a fish where that's where definitely where I can see acid wrapping yep. being a, a needed thing. So. Interesting. Awesome. What else have I forgotten or not asked about? The grips is a good one. What else? I know, I know four grips are a thing that that's all user preference. Yeah, I was going to say uh, they're on some of the rods and not on some of the others. I was going to, and it seems like they're not on some of the lighter application and they are on some of the heavier applications. Yeah, so, I mean, with the grass real seed, it definitely adds a lot of ergonomics to where fishing with other rod is a lot more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, so the need for a foregrip we didn't feel was, was needed at all. 
Right. And then being there on the heavy rods, um, it gives a person an option of still using the foregrip yeah. to create maybe a different leverage point. Okay. My perspective is depending on how I'm working a bait, I will use the foregrip sometimes. Okay. If I'm doing more up rips with a specific bait, I'll use the foregrip. If it's more rips to the side, I'll palm the reel. Okay. So it's all user preference. Which totally makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Do you, uh, we mentioned when we're talking about leaders and we're talking about often using single strand wire, about what size single strand wire uh, do you, re- is, is adequate for most of the applications? I, I might have to get back to you on that. It's okay, the, that's fine. I didn't cut, know if you know. It's the cut proof stuff. Yeah. It's, it's saltwater leader. I can't remember what size it is. Yeah. It's the hardest thing for me. I use it all the time in all different sizes and I never remember which one is the right one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say it's 130. Yeah. Okay. Sure. That's, yeah. And that's the thing that's weird is they do them by number, but then it, it does equate to a, a rough pound test eventually. So you're mostly just forming these leaders with like haywire twist tools and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Okay. I think when I was in college, I was actually messing around with building bait. So I actually bought a wire to wire bender. Oh, so you've got and, one. Yeah. Um, one of the ones you clamp right to the workbench. Yep, and yep. honestly that, that thing works way better. Oh yeah. Than anything I've used to yeah. get a nice tight coil. Right. I've always, I've always kind of wanted one of those, but never, never did enough of it to pull the trigger. Um, and then mm-hmm. uh, Warren DeToy at Toy Tools came out with his new handheld Haywire twist tool, which is just a game changer. So if I, I either do them by hand without a tool or I use his tool and it's great. But uh, so, someday I'll grow up and be a big boy and have one on my bench. <laughs> I don't, I honestly, I don't have an expensive one. Yeah. It's, uh, I think the main body's plastic and a couple metal piece, pieces for twisting the wire, but. But it works. Yeah. It works great. Yeah. You got to spend maybe a little more money on, uh, on a twist tool for bending bucktail wire. Because mm. that's when you're looking at 051, 060, 061. So Pretty it's. Stout. It, yeah pretty stout stuff yeah yeah interesting well that's that's awesome um and we will post links in the description to all this stuff what else have i forgotten what else should we talk about or musky fishing or anything new going on at saint croix you want to pump well there's always something new going on oh i know but y'all can never talk about it we're never complacent oh i know that's one of the things i love about you honest innovation honest innovation and nice thing now is uh the process or the planning the design uh, cycle we have set up now we actually have a lot more time to test the rods yeah to where more than likely by the time they get out uh two of the consumers have been just beat on yeah as far as the durability is right the power and the actions right for whatever technique we're strategically pursuing all that yeah well, that's awesome. Well, you guys make a, a fine product and uh, it's a really impressive, I tell, I know I talked about it in the episode with Jason, but if you've never gone up and done the tour, you should do it. It's awesome. It's a great tour. You'll learn a lot and you'll understand that the the, the unbelievable consistency and quality of, of the rods and blanks is not an accident. It's, it's, uh, there's a bunch of smart folks like Gavin with engineering backgrounds and process improvement backgrounds working really hard to make that happen. And it shows. So on behalf of the anglers, we appreciate you. Keep up the good work. <laughs> no, that's that's why we do it. We try and give, like like St. Croix promotes, we try to give every angler the upper hand. 
And uh, like uh, I'm always uh, not optimistic, but always uh, excited to hear people's success stories when they use our products. And you get to hear the, you always get to hear the goods and the bads, but yeah, the, yeah. the goods definitely uh, make it well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, uh, Aaron and I, on our last visit to Park Falls, went to a place that Gavin recommended called the Big Dipper. If you find yourself up there, it's great. Really good cheese curds. Really good. Uh, I thought all the food was great. But um, we ended up sitting around at the bar waiting for a table for a while. And everybody knew we weren't local. And they're like, what are you guys doing here? And we said, oh, here's who we're with. And we're up here visiting. And they started go- talking about rods and talking about stuff and talking about uh, – it, it was amazing how quickly – uh, it is a very, uh, you know, uh, enthusiastic and robust musky scene up there. It was impressive. No, absolutely. It's, I mean, you get west of here and it's, their radio station is musky country. So it's, <laughs> there you uh, go. That's all you need to know. It's kind of the culture. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, we could not have asked for a better guest to shed some light on this and share the information. So thanks so much for doing it. Um, what's your personal best musky? It actually just happened this year. So I'm at really? 49 and a half. Yep. Oh, yep. Yeah. Summer. It was a nice fish. What'd you yep. catch it on? It was on a uh, musky mayhem grenade. Okay. So it's, it's kind of like uh, a bucktail in reverse. It's got a lead head with a hook tie, flash a boot, and then the blades are on the back. Huh? I'll have to look that up. That's awesome. That's a huge fish, man. Uh, Congratulations. Guys are that's a hammer. saltwater fish on it. Well, that's that's why I'm interested. I'm going to have to take a mm-hmm. look, right? Like any any yeah. big aggressive predator fish where you're trying to, you know, evoke a reaction strike. If it works for muskie, I bet I can get something to bite on it in saltwater. Oh, absolutely. Give it a chance on the northern Gulf Coast. There we go. <laughs> well, man, thank you so much for your time. It's such a pleasure to have you. Really appreciate you sharing your knowledge. And uh, like we said, uh, we'll, we'll post links to all these various rods we've talked about. We'll post some links to the pieces of tackle, certainly the the D hookers and the release kits and things like that. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. really encourage you to take very good care of these fish. It's a precious resource. And, and, uh, you know, finite. So we need to take good care of them. And, uh, and, and on that note, take a kid fishing. Cause you never know, they might grow up like Gavin and become, uh, become the, the principal, uh, designer and builder of, of some of the best musky rods in the, on the planet, uh, which would be exciting. So, well, Hey, say hi to everybody at St. Croix for us. And thank you so much for your time, Gavin. Absolutely, Bill. Thank All you. Right. It was great talking with you. Absolutely. That's going to wrap it up for this week. But if you'd like to be notified as soon as all new podcasts are released, just text the word FISHING to 587-317-6099. We'll add you to our email list so you can stay up to date. Thanks for listening.